0: We just got played. We just got tricked into doing an extra.
1: User error eighty eight. I'm Joe. I'm Alan. And I'm Dan. And we're back. And we've got some hashtag ask error questions for you. And remember you can submit them on Twitter using that hashtag ask error or via email error.show slash contact or in the jupiter Broadcasting telegram group, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash telegram. So the first one, do you ever get imposter syndrome?
0: Don't we all? I think a better question would be, who doesn't get imposter syndrome?
1: Uh, supremely arrogant pricks, probably. <laughs> all right, well, what do you get imposter syndrome about, then? <laughs> oh, God, where do we start?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Everything!
1: I do actually know someone who told me once that they never get imposter syndrome. I'm not going to say who it is to protect their identity. Right, but I also know someone
2: who, during a job interview, was asked... Uh, what are your character flaws? And he said, I don't have any character flaws. And she said, don't you think that's arrogant? And he said, no, arrogance isn't one of my character flaws. (laughs) (laughs) So,
0: yeah, I wouldn't trust that. That's amazing. Uh, No, uh, in all seriousness, though, I think that um – It is important to let everybody know that, yeah, like everybody that you think is good at something or whatever, whoever is a a leader of some project or whoever is like a CEO of a company or, or whatever, like everybody that you know gets imposter syndrome all the time. And, um, there's tons of times a day where I definitely feel like crap. You know, I'm just sticking stuff into Google and reading documentation. Like I'm not a real programmer or the same thing about design or the same thing about anything where you're like, Oh man, I really don't know much about this stuff. You know, and I'm just kind of flying by the seat of my pants and, and researching whatever I can to try to string it all together. And like, that's what everybody's doing though. I think everyone
2: beneath, uh, the late, great Stephen Hawking has some level of imposter syndrome, unless they're, like I say, an arrogant prick. I feel it every time I go to a company sprint, because I look around and there's an awful lot of very talented, very intellectual people who know all the ones and zeros of how the Linux kernel works, how display drivers work, Xorg works, how bits arrive on the screen on my computer. And I have no idea how any of this stuff works. And so, yeah, I feel like a complete imposter among these very clever people.
1: And and I, I find that everywhere. Yeah, but could any of them stand up at a conference and explain the project to normal people in real world terms?
2: Yeah, I, I, I guess there are skills I have, a very particular set of skills <laughs> that I have, <laughs> which are useful in some circumstances. I will find you. I will explain what snaps are. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I I feel there are certain skills I may have, but the the problem is I feel that that's not a particularly useful skill. Uh, When the apocalypse comes and we're all standing around trying to figure out how we're going to make fire or how we're going to fashion some kind of uh, building in which to shelter from the elements you know i'll be there standing at the front you know tapping the microphone trying to figure out how to explain stuff to people how is that useful in mankind like there there, there is so many i i do feel like an imposter in every situation so the the question just made me smile because i'm like yes all day every day <laughs>
1: I don't get that all day, every day. I get that sometimes. Sometimes I'll look at the list of questions that we've got for this and think, no, that's going to be a terrible show. But then I know I can rely on two to be funny and interesting, so it's fine. And, you know, with the other shows that I produce and edit and everything, sometimes I feel like, what am I doing? Um, like yesterday I was uh, editing a show and I just could not get the mix right. I kept exporting it, listening back, going, oh, no. That person's too loud. Oh no, that person's too loud. And it took me like five goes to get it, and that was a real case of imposter syndrome. But I got it in the end, and now it sounds fine. And when that show goes out, no one will notice. So I think that um, yeah, it's important to accept what imposter syndrome is, but also to overcome it and to think, well, the reason that I feel like an imposter is that I need to work a bit harder at this thing um and and realize what my skills are and realize who I need to ask for help from i mean sometimes i will ask drew for help with a mix if i'm you know really worried about it that i just can't get it right i just f- for whatever reason and he'll say to me oh well you need to eq that you need to do this do that and you know we work together as a team and i think that isn't that the whole point of humanity that humanity is this one big team that works together to overcome things
0: I think that's one of the big things when you see things that other people make is you just see the end product. And you look at someone and you go, wow, they're so smart that they were able to do this thing or um, that they know about this thing, but you don't really see like how many hours they spent struggling in a dark room looking up things on Google and hoping nobody finds out that they don't know how anything works.
2: (laughs) Mm, Yeah, perhaps. I think this is a whole, and and it's not just imposter syndrome. It's it's a whole how we compare ourselves to others. It's a you know a thing about humanity where, like you as a parent, you stand in the playground and you know you've got your child there, and you see other parents with their children, and one of them will drive off in a Ferrari, and you think, what the hell did that guy do to have like perfectly beautiful children? a perfectly gorgeous wife, and he drives a Ferrari, and then you find out later he's an absolute dickhead, and, you know, nobody likes him, and I think, okay, that makes it all right. Like, I don't mind that he manages to punch out a decently-looking, articulate child and has managed to attract, you know, uh, an attractive woman who holds down a decent job and is very good at what she does. But the downside is he's a massive asshole. In my head, I have done the sums and figured out that's all right. But when I'm in a room full of people of nerds who all outclass me in so many ways, I don't have that feeling.
0: Yeah, I don't, and I get what you're saying about, like, there's a sense of, of justice that makes things all right, where you're like, ah, like, that person doesn't really have it that together. But when you see, um, like, when you see people that you, you look up to or you aspire to be like, that there isn't that sort of, of balancing out. And, and when those people are supposed to be your peers, that it makes, it makes it, uh, I, I guess there's a sense of, like, you're not as quick to, weigh yourself so much as, as the other people where, you're, where you're, you're kind of looking at them around you and you're going, wow, everybody's so smart and these are my peers and I'm like, ah, that must mean that I'm an imposter. And, and then the reality is is like, oh, that must mean that I'm
1: smart too. Yeah, that's the best way to look at it is to accept imposter syndrome, but then also overcome it by realizing that even if you aren't as clever as all of those people in the room or as, as talented, you are at least talented at blagging your way into a situation where you get paid loads to be in the room with them.
0: Yeah, something something got you into that room, and that something is worth being proud of, even if you don't necessarily think that you're as good as someone else at a specific thing.
1: <laughs> Thanks, I think. What's your unusual fingernails on a chalkboard equivalent? So things that just, um, what my mother would say goes through you. Um, You know, that horrible noise. They just, I just can't stand that thing. Is there anything that does that for you that is not normal?
0: You know what the one that I really hate is? Like, there's a certain sound of like a knife and fork, like sliding across each other that, that only happens sometimes. Like most of the time when you're like, Chopping things or whatever, it sounds fine, but there's a certain like knife hits the plate a certain way or hits the
2: fork a certain way. And it just makes this sound that it like makes my teeth hurt. Good. I'm glad it's not just me. Um, I was, I was actually going to say there's, and I'm having difficulty even articulating it because as I describe it, (laughs) I think about it and it puts my teeth on edge just thinking about it, let alone describing it. So something, you know, how when you get a fork, and you know you stab a bit of food and you put it in your mouth and if you imagine the four prongs of the fork oh, yeah. hori- horizontally like and they go in and then you you grip it with your your mouth and your teeth you grip the food and then you you eat it right but what if your fork was at 90 degrees to your teeth and then you close your mouth too fast and slide the fork out and the fork the edge of the fork slides across your teeth oh, <laughs> you're killing <laughs> that- me with this <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, writhing over here, like,
2: ah. Yeah, that. That's uh, – I hate that. And, and it's it's rough. The edge of a fork is rough. No matter how high class your cutlery is, there's a rough feeling as it slides across. And the worst is when it slides across both your, your top and your bottom teeth as it goes out of your mouth. And that's it. I just have to put my cutlery down and just stop because – And the problem is I'm shivering thinking about it. Just just the thought of doing it. That's it.
1: Chopsticks forever. (laughs) No more forks. Forks are banned. Forks are over party. I must say that does sound unpleasant, but I've never had that happen to me. And yeah, I wouldn't like it to happen, but I don't think it would have that effect on me. For me, it is doormats and similar brushes, like, uh, you know, fingernail brushes. I just, that, like you, you, wiping your feet on a doormat it just makes me feel like ugh, i just can't stand that feeling i just have to get away
2: from it i love every episode of user you give me more ammunition every single time <laughs> it's brilliant i'll just surround my entire house with
1: uh, mats just like a moat around my house and i'll prevent you ever coming in <laughs> Well, obviously, being an adult human being, I've had to get over it and just wipe my feet. But I just always feel this horrible ugh, feeling when I do it. I think
2: the, the fork of my teeth is, I think it's like the worst example of something. There's there's something serrated, something rough rubbing against something else that is in my earshot or near or around about my body. I think I could get the same problem with glass and metal. And there, there's probably any two things which are rough near me would probably trigger a similar, but I think, I think that's pretty common. I, I'd be surprised if other people
1: don't have similar problems with things in their mouth. What about um, striking of a match? That's rubbing something on something uh, rough. Mm, yeah, but that's super fulfilling because you get fire out of it
2: and a lovely smell. Yeah, I don't know why that match strike sound is kind of
0: satisfying. Yeah. It's got that nice little snap at the end.
1: Yeah, but only with old school non-safety matches. The safety ones with that weird smooth bit of um, sandpaper, I don't like them. I think it's got to be the old school ones with the proper rough sandpaper and the pink end. What gives the Linux distro that feeling of polish?
2: This is a really tricky one. My gut feeling when I saw the question was speed, was raw performance. If I click on an icon and near instantly a window is painted on the screen, I think, "Huh, that's really good. And I feel like there's nothing in between me and that application. I feel like... The film Tron, where I've, or the Matrix, where I'm like tapped straight into this computer, and if I double click and a window appears immediately, it's doing my bidding. And I feel like I'm at one with the computer, and it's doing what I want. And if I double click on something and it takes an age to load, I think, hmm, this needs work. So I think that was my in- initial gut reaction was just raw speed. That's the the first thing that jumps out at me.
1: Right. So it's Ubuntu then.
2: I, I don't recall using zubuntu recently so i couldn't comment on whether i found that super fast or not i can't actually remember which distro it was that i tried recently but i did try one where it was ludicrously fast uh and i thought holy cow they've done some good work here i don't know
1: what they've done but (laughs) whatever they've done good work that was my first reaction for me it's things just working not having errors all the time, not having weird bugs everywhere and just turning on the computer, using the computer and turning it off again and not ever having that situation where there's a weird error or something's not right and you have to kind of close it and start it again. I think bugs and lack of bugs is what gives a Linux distro that feeling of polish. Whether that is something that looks quite basic I'm not. I sh- probably shouldn't name names, but you know, th- there are there are certain desktop environments and distros that are quite Spartan, let's say, and there are some that are very fancy looking and very well designed. But I, th- I think it doesn't really matter where you are on that spectrum, as long as it actually works, then it feels polished to me.
0: I think for me, that probably the biggest thing is some kind of internal consistency um, when you're using one. Part of the interface or you open an application and it behaves one way. And then you open another application and it behaves the same way as the other one. Like all the knowledge that you've built up about how this system works applies and it takes away that time that you spend like figuring things out and you get to just start doing things. And when you're using something where it's a bunch of different design languages mixed together, Uh, then I feel like it adds all this friction because now you're not just learning one operating system, you're learning all the different toolkits or all the different design languages. And and it just adds so much more friction in between like getting the things done that I want to get done. And and to me, that's the biggest indicator that things are, are polished is if a team spent time going through and making sure that the way you do things here applies to how you do things over there.
2: Do you think users of traditional Linux environments are too tolerant of where that's not the case? I would say so,
0: yeah. Because I I think it I think it does make a big difference to people who are new and trying to learn something for the first time. And um it does seem the case that like we we have a very strict uh Adhesion to only supporting and using one toolkit. And we only ship applications that use that toolkit to the point where, um, we didn't even want to ship GTK two applications. We wanted GTK three applications only. And, um, you know, we only accept GTK three applications in our app store, even to try to really have, um, as a cohesive experience as possible. And I think that's pretty different compared to most mainstream uh, distributions which um i'm not trying to talk bad about ubuntu but i think that's something that like you guys for a long time have shipped more popular applications than and not necessarily the ones that are like the most coherently designed together but the ones that are like most widely used right
2: yeah i totally agree and i wonder if that's just because the users accept that friction if indeed it is friction. And I'm looking down my launcher right now, and there's a mishmash of all kinds of things, different browsers that use different toolkits, applications using different toolkits. And they all have different menus, different keyboard shortcuts. They're all very different. But I get my job done. I don't feel exhausted at the end of the day. I don't feel like I've had a chore switching between applications. Like I typically have... I know this is going to be horrific for you, Dan. I appreciate it. Brace yourself. I typically have five applications open spread across three displays, and they're all wildly different, and they have different toolkits and different keyboard shortcuts. But I cope. I'm a grown-up, and I can figure this shit out. And I I wonder if you're catering to a specific niche of users who feel that they – absolutely have to have this visual consistency and behavioral consistency across all their applications and
1: is that narrowing your market let me just add to that by saying that for me what gives a distro polish is being able to cope with that well and letting me use cute gtk2 gtk3 apps and have them all looking a little bit different and, and acting a bit differently but still working together
0: yeah, I think for for the market that we're we're going for, which is you know pretty specifically not really existing Linux users, but we want to capture more of people that are using Windows and macOS, and these days people that are coming from iOS and Android. And I think that um, for those kinds of users, that making sure that they can learn the system and feel productive in it in as short a time as possible is pretty important for them to stick with it and having the added complexity of learning keyboard shortcuts and feeling productive in one application and then moving to another application where none of that knowledge applies, to me I feel like that a lot of people would fall off there, that there's a filter there. So I I wouldn't say that that narrows the market to be more internally consistent. If anything, I would say that it makes it
2: more acceptable to more kinds of people. So I guess I kind of agree with you, Dan, that there, there needs to be some visual consistency. I think we differ in the the level of visual consistency. Like I like the fact that, you know, icons are visually consistent across a desktop, but maybe I just don't have the eye that you do where you see. Some inconsistencies between one application's icon and another or the way that one application presents its window and the window controls are slightly different from another. And I think I don't consider that to be polish for some reason. I don't know why that's at the back of my mind. I, I think I've, maybe I've allowed that to become the norm and maybe, maybe I should consider that everything should be visually consistent across all the applications. But my problem is that's not the world we live in. Like I want to use sublime text and it isn't visually consistent with Firefox or Chrome or Telegram or standard notes or any of the other half dozen applications that I have open. And I don't, I don't know what I have to do to like either decrease my tolerance level. Do I, would I have to switch to a whole bunch of other applications or would I have to switch to a completely different distro? To allow that to be okay,
0: yeah, I think that's a big misconception. Is it's not just visual consistency because if it was just visual, then who cares what toolkits you're using? Because you can just have themes that make everything look similar, right? But it's not just visual. It's you know when a user goes, okay, well, how do I input emojis? And okay, well, for all GTK applications, you do it like this. But in Qt applications, you do it like that. And for Chrome, you got to do it like this. And you know, and it's, it's this knowledge uh, in that way. And as we're moving forward here too, that, that depth of knowledge is going to get even bigger because we're adding like multi touch gestures now. Um, so when every application out of the box, you're going to be able to navigate back and forward with a two finger swipe. And then you open an application that doesn't do that. That's a thing where a user is going to go, Oh, well, I'm not even going to use that application because it doesn't behave the way I expect it to. It doesn't really matter how it looks, but if it doesn't behave the way that other
1: applications do, then it, then it becomes like a, another workflow. But can you really expect people who make applications to stick to standards? I mean, I know that that's what you're trying to do with elementary and app center and everything, but the reality is that that's not how the world works. And so. You just have to roll with these different ways of using software, don't you?
0: I would say that that's not really true. I think that for the most part, when you look at applications on other platforms, that they do stick to the way that the
1: the platform works for the most part. And they they diverge very little. Yeah, but other platforms are locked down and Linux is not. It is open by its very nature. I don't think it's just that there, I wouldn't even say that that's true because you can do a
0: lot of things on iOS and Android. Like obviously, if you can make a game, you can have any interface that you want, right? So there's, I wouldn't say that it's locked down and you can even have non-native toolkits on, on those platforms too, right? But a lot of developers choose not to. And even Facebook just came out with their big thing and messenger where it was like, Hey, we spent all this time trying to do all these things cross-platform, and we figured out that the best way to make Messenger not suck is to just use all the native APIs. And it just seems like, at the end of the day, that's what users expect out of these platforms, and if we're not meeting that threshold, then we're only going to
1: be palatable to so many users. What's your favorite photograph of anything ever? So when I first thought of this question, which was back in January, I
2: was uh, maybe you might call tired and emotional, or <laughs> uh, my mum was in hospital at the time, and I was visiting her. And I went to the hospital canteen, and the hospital near me sells these delicious Cornish pasties. And I took a photo <laughs> of a Cornish pasty with some brown sauce. And I was really proud of that photo. And I think that's what triggered me to ask this question because I took a photo of a Cornish pasty with some brown sauce and I really
1: liked it. And I thought, I wonder if the other guys have a favorite photo that they've taken recently. If it's a photo that I've taken, then there's one of my beloved cat no longer with us that was just really nice that I will just always remember and always keep looking at. But in a complete juxtaposition to your Cornish pasty, I have two favorite photos not taken by me. The first one is the blue marble. That was taken by the crew of Apollo 17, and that is of the entire Earth. And I believe it was the first proper photo of the whole Earth. And it really kind of puts things in perspective. Um, And then related to that is pale blue dot which was taken by the Voyager 1 space probe as it was sort of heading out of the solar system, I think, or certainly very far away. And um, you've got just this tiny one-pixel blue dot, which is Earth, and that puts things into perspective as well. So, like I said, quite the juxtaposition from your Cornish pasty.
2: Yeah, because all the rest of mine would be like photos from my honeymoon or the very first photo that I still have, which is a, a digital photo that I was, I took in, uh, before I proposed to my wife, the very last photo I took of her before I proposed was at Gowick Airport before we flew to the Maldives. And that was back in August 1999. And that's probably one of my favorite pictures because it's the oldest digital photo I have. It's the first one before I proposed, and she didn't know that I had the ring in my hand luggage that I was going to propose with. So if we're going to be like soppy, then I could choose that one. But if we're going to be practical, then yeah, probably the, the Cornish pasty.
0: Okay, so if it's a photo that we've taken recently, then I guess... Uh, there actually there's one that i i like that is a couple years old now and it's not a particularly good photo in terms of like composition and it's not particularly interesting either it's just like a picture that i took from my point of view sitting in a lawn chair drinking a fruit punch soda <laughs> and it was just it was a day that i don't know i just felt really good that day and it was just like i wasn't worried about anything and i was just relaxing and the weather was beautiful and it just felt like a really great day and the photo itself is garbage but every time i see that photo i'm like that
2: was a good day i love that nobody else will have any kind of feeling about that photo it's only you that 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 photo triggers memories in. Yeah, it's a
1: completely worthless photo. It really is. <laughs> well, my favorite photo that I've taken recently, relatively recently, I was out and about, and I think it's my Twitter header, if you want to see it. And uh, it's uh, a crossing, a road crossing, a pedestrian crossing. And I have cleverly cropped out the, the left-facing arrow, and it says, look left, and there's an arrow pointing to the right. And it's one of those, like, uh, you had one job type photos. I thought that was uh, quite funny. One of the photos that I,
2: I like mentioning, and the kids get absolutely sick of me mentioning, is whenever anyone mentions the word selfie, I point out that I was taking selfies before selfies were a thing. Because in 2001, I went skiing with Claire and I had a Sony camera, one of the early digital cameras that had a lens that flipped round, so it could point towards you. And I have a photo that I took of me and Claire on a ski lift uh, of the pair of us smiling with the sunlight glinting in our faces as we, as we go up the ski lift. And I point out to the kids, like, I was taking selfies before you were born, my friends. <laughs> Is this the trigger for us to just sit and scroll through our photo collection right now? (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm doing.
1: How do you feel when someone chimes in online with, well, actually, dot, dot, dot. I think the classic example of this in recent times was the the 10-year selfie challenge or whatever. Um, and then people started chiming in, well, actually, all you're doing is helping to train algorithms, facial recognition algorithms of what you look like in 10 years later and blah, blah, blah. That's what made me think about it. That must have been a year ago at this point. But there's just no matter what you're talking about, someone will always chime in with, well, actually, and, you know, prove things with facts. I think the one that annoys me the most is when
2: someone takes a photograph in some way from a car. And if they post it online, someone will always point out, "Eh, hey, you shouldn't be using a phone while you're driving. Um, and it's entirely possible that somebody else took the photo. Um, I have before now had my daughter in the car and asked her to lean across me as I drive and take a photo from the perspective of the driver while I'm driving down the road deliberately so that i control people and hope that they will say <laughs> yeah you shouldn't be taking photos while you're driving just so i can say actually i didn't take the photo just to and there are some people who just feel the need they just can't resist i had that recently just with a a stupid tweet where i was making fun of something uh as humor and someone replied, well, why don't you use one of these other services? You have to use that voice, unfortunately. When anyone, well, actually, um, you have to use that voice because
1: they're pricks and
2: they can fuck off. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but what about, sometimes someone will chime in with a well, actually, that does make you think and is valuable information. I remember there was drone footage of a bunch of tigers, like baby tigers. Um, And then the the well actually was, well, that is actually a farm for them where they are killed um and it's not fun at all and you know sometimes it's a bit of a consciousness raiser when someone chimes in with well actually with facts that you actually want to know yeah i had one of those
2: recently i posted an animated gift to a friend of mine on twitter and i had a private message from someone saying uh, perhaps you uh, didn't want to uh, post that to- that particular picture, it might uh, trigger some individuals. Uh, And I thought, oh, Jesus Christ. It it was just like a funny animated GIF at the time. And yeah, that's possible. I was replying to a friend of mine in an amusing way, and now I'm getting guilt-tripped for sending an amusing GIF to a friend of mine. But the problem with social media is, in some cases, everyone gets to see that. And so everyone has an opinion about that. And I I just ignored it. I didn't actually reply. I could have said, like, in your case, Joe, I could have been more enlightened and said, "Mm, yeah, you're right. I'll delete that. But at the time, I was thinking, no, fuck you, pal. It's my Twitter account. I'll tweet what the fuck I like. Piss off. And I just ignored it. Should have just said, okay, then. I should have. Yes. But I didn't. On that particular occasion, I thought, meh, I left
0: it. Does this include the people that come in and are like, well, if you, you know, whatever, then you should use this service or this thing is actually an evil corporation, blah, blah, blah. And Like, do those people too? Is that what this counts as?
1: Yes, that, that counts, especially with that voice. Yeah, why are you using Twitter? Why not Mastodon? That sort of thing.
2: Well, also the whole... Uh, well, you know, it's your fault for using that thing. You should have used this other thing. Or, you know, the XY problem when you say,
1: I, you know, I want help with this. Ah, well, you should have used
2: Y. You know, it's, like, oh.
1: Yeah. Like I've got a problem with Excel. Well, why aren't you using LibreOffice? Right. Mm-hmm. Yes, Dan, it does.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to when PinePhone works amazing because it seems like that's what everybody's doing right now. And then I can get rid of those people. They're like, oh my God, why are you tweeting from an iPhone? <laughs>
2: <laughs> that the whole the the whole thing where social media reveals the device type you have is pretty hilarious that people get upset about that why do people on the internet feel so compelled to tell you to use something else like after they've told you they're going to go about their day and carry on doing whatever they're doing and you're Your sphere of influence isn't that strong, my friend. Like, you just shouting at me because I'm using the wrong manufacturer of phone or the wrong operating system based on your personal opinion. You're not going to change my mind,
1: my friend. It doesn't work like that. However, there was a case recently, I think MKBHD talked about it, where... Uh, there was a brand ambassador for some Android manufacturer, Huawei, or I, don't, I can't remember what it was. Um, and, the, you know, they were a paid influencer, essentially. And they had tweeted about the phone from an iPhone.
2: Oh, I think that's different. I think that's just fuckwittedness. That's just being stupid and not being on brand. Like the fact that I work for Canonical and I use Ubuntu all day every day Yet yeah, I tweeted out a screenshot from Windows, which, by the way, I did intentionally uh, to see if anyone would uh, would bite. And sure enough, they did. Uh, I tweeted out a Windows screenshot. I have perfectly valid reasons for using Windows. And fuck you for saying otherwise, because... It's part of my job to test the software that I'm using on Windows. But also, even if it's not part of my job, I like to play video games. And some of those video games only work on Windows. Yeah, but you work for Canonical. You should only use Ubuntu and you should only advocate for Ubuntu. Fuck
1: off. Yeah, why aren't you using Proton? Come on. Cause it doesn't work. <laughs> have you filed a bug? No, a thousand other people have. It doesn't help. But I always say, use whatever you want. And I'm not going to judge you for it. I am I might silently judge you for it, but I'm certainly not going to publicly judge you for it. And if you're using the wrong tool for the job, then uh, okay, then do what you like. Um, and I'll tell you what's good about the tools that I use, what's great about XFCE, I have done in this episode. But if you're happy with whatever you're using, then fine. If you want to use a Mac or Windows, whatever, it's not my problem, is it? I think life is too short.
2: And getting all het up, as my mom would say, about what other people do and what other people use is a gigantic waste of the finite time you have on the planet. Just go away, use what you want to use, advocate for what you want to advocate, but don't start harassing other people because they're not using the thing you want them to use. What's that comic where it's like people are standing around
0: and then someone comes and hands somebody a flag that says A on it and hands somebody a flag that says B on it and then the A guy's like, hey, fuck that guy. (laughs)